Good morning. Let's try to make some room for people. <clears throat> this morning we're reading from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 15 through 20. You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman, or like any animal on earth, or any bird that flies in the air, or like any creature that moves along the ground, or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance, as you are now. All right. Thank you. Good morning. How's everybody doing? I'll put this here. Um, I feel like there's more of you than normal. New Year's resolutions kicking in. Be more Christian. It's like the gym, though. By February, we'll see who lasted. I don't know. Um, so, this week, my big question and quandary that I was having with myself is, do I go a third week on this? I think I will. And I was like, self, you should go a third week. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to do this. Um, so, last week we did, uh, for those of you who weren't here last week, you have no idea what I'm talking about, which also means you didn't listen to the podcast. Um, it's okay. I'll try to catch you up. You should go back and listen to the podcast, because last week I, I, I started sort of a a mini-series, like Netflix mini-series, um, on, uh, on what I'm calling the cosmic hierarchy. Here, here's a simple, terrible illustration of it. Boom. Um, and so if you didn't hear last week's message, you may be a little slightly lost, but don't worry, I'll try to fill in the gaps. And um, listen to it and go to our website, watermarktampa.com, or use the app um, to check the visuals as well. Because without my drawings, it's not going to make a lot of sense. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, this week, I, I feel like we're getting close to landing the cosmic plane, but we're not quite going to. Uh, so next week, I'm going to do one more week, and then we're going to jump back into Matthew. I promise. I know you're all excited about Matthew again. Um, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about um, ideas like the fall. Um, what exactly is it? What, what is happening here? Uh, what is the story of Adam and Eve? What is this really about? What is, um, we're going to talk about a few different stories in the Bible that you're probably very familiar with if you grew up in Sunday school. And uh, I'm going to help you sort of get a new vantage point of them. So why don't we pray, and then we're going to jump into this passage and, uh, and have some fun. Yes, we're doing Deuteronomy, of all places. Never thought I'd preach a huge sermon thing out of there. But here we go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this place and these people. Um, Give us life this morning. Give us joy. Um, fill us up. We have a blank slate, a new year ahead of us. I ask that you would uh, sort of fine-tune our, um, our heart and our soul this year. Let us um, see things we haven't seen, take part in things that we've needed to take part in, and, and uh, repent of things that we've needed to put away. I ask that you would fashion us in your image, not just ourselves, but our spirit, our souls, our joy, our mission, um, our community, all of it. Give us um, a new understanding, a new fresh perspective on what you are doing in this world. And let us push aside the things that have, that have been like dragging behind us like weights and, and anchors and let us, let us get rid of them. Um, as I speak this morning, remind me of the things that I've studied. Allow me to communicate clearly and, uh, and uh, yeah, fill us up. Thank you, Father. Amen. Okay. So, 
Um, micro review of last week. Um, there is this idea in the book of Genesis uh, that, it, that God, Yahweh, as the ancient Israelites called him, uh, is king. And he became king by creating a kingdom. And the rightful creator of the kingdom is the ruler of it all. That there is, the ancient people, the ancient Israelites believe there was one God um, in the entire world. This is going to make more sense as we go along a little farther. Um, and that underneath God, um, at the very bottom sort of of the, of the hierarchy, the totem pole here sort of, is, is the world. God created for seven days all of creation, all these beings. Um, and at the very end of creation, God uh, crowns creation with human beings. Um, with humanity, humankind. Um, humankind is made different from the rest of creation. Humankind is given the image of God. And last week we went into detail about what that meant in the ancient world. Very specific. Um, basically, it is, uh, in the Hebrew, there's this word that, that, that uh, how we're given rule and dominion over the world. Basically, that is an ancient way of saying um, a delegated authority that a king gives to somebody to do the king's work in this place, in this space. So basically, in the, in the, in the ancient mindset of the ancient Jewish people, we are put here for several reasons. Um, to, to maintain the presence of God so that the world can see what God looks like, what God is like, what God um, desires um, of, of human beings and of creation. Um, we are given the task of creating more images of God to fill this kingdom, uh, submitting to God as king and ruling um, with delegated authority over the world in God's place, um, under God. Now, um, this all has to do with guiding creation forward to health and maturation, and it has this idea of progress built into the creation narrative. The Hebrew word dasha is like, it's growth, it's forward movements. We are here um, to guide this thing as it moves, okay? Um, to be the presence of God here, to do that work. This is the cosmic hierarchy, and we are called in scriptures to live in this way, not to be equal with with the rest of creation, but, but to have a specific purpose, okay? Um, again, go back last week and listen to that. So, here we are this week. Uh, now we're going to talk about the fall, because what happens when we don't live up to our vocation? We have an office. We have a vocation, a job to do, a position that we hold. What happens when we don't do this? What happens to the world? What happens to creation? Um, so we're going to start off with talking about the fall. The, um, the fall as it is typically called. Um, it's not called that in the Bible. It's, it's called that sort of in, in, in Christian theology. Um, typically, there is a story that we inherited from, if you grew up Protestant, you inherited this from the Reformers uh, or, you know, Augustine and then Anselm and then Martin Luther and John Calvin. And, and the Reformers, they, they basically tell the story as um, we were created in a specific way, but there was a moral failure that happened uh, in the form of eating some fruits um, of a specific tree. So the sin is lying, stealing, right? Um, hiding the truth. Um, and somehow this thing, eating this fruit, this lie, this cheat, this thievery of this thing that we were told not to touch somehow affects all of creation and makes the entire thing fall apart. When I was a kid, this never made a lot of sense to me. I, I was always just taught, um, well, um, everything painful you see in the world all goes back to eating a piece of fruit because we broke a cosmic sort of law. I'm like, But it's a very small one. doesn't matter. They're all the same. Okay. Um, and so in, in the inherited sort of 
story of Western Christianity, this is how the story goes. But in view of the cosmic hierarchy, uh, in view of the ancient Jewish people, from this perspective, from the perspective that they had, the story is slightly different. Um, And it adds a layer to this whole thing that is really quite beautiful and explains a lot of questions that I had when I was a kid. Um, And it really starts with... Um, it starts with the temptation of, of what's called the serpent um, in the book of Genesis. Uh, Genesis 3.5, it says, uh, this is the words of the serpent. God knows that when you eat from it, the fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, knowing good and evil in the Old Testament in the ancient Jewish mindset um, has to do um, with judgment. It is the ability to judge. And when Modern day, when we think of judgment, we think of punishing people for the things they've done wrong. In the Bible and ancient world, the judgment is simply the proclamation of what is good and what is bad, what should be and what should not be, what should continue going forward and what should end. It is always, in the scriptures, considered a divine ability to be able to judge rightly. Whenever you see somebody, especially in the Old Testament, kings, prophets, whatever, when you see them judging anything, it will always start off with, and the Spirit of God came upon them, and they judged, okay? Uh, it is a divine thing that God alone can do. God alone is our judge. You will see this all through scriptures because God alone is given the divine ability to know um, the way things should be because God has the plan of where it's heading. And God alone knows what should not be um, because it doesn't fit in with the, the cosmic plan that God has for the universe. So this is how the ancient Jewish people thought about it. So when it says, when the serpent says, You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Um, It means something very particular. Uh, When I was a kid, I thought this always meant, uh, when I asked, what does it mean you will be like God? And the answer was always, well, it means you're going to live forever. If you eat the fruit, you're going to live forever. And that never made a lot of sense to me. Um, It turns out, uh, my inclinations were right. This is a, that's, a, that's a very sort of Gnostic idea. That is, not, that is not the idea presented here. It's something very different. Um, New Testament scholar Scott McKnight um, goes into detail about this in his book, Kingdom Conspiracy, that I referenced last week. Um, and he points out that in the ancient mindset, the temptation here is not to simply break some law and eat and steal a piece of fruit. The temptation here is to usurp the throne of God. It is a threat against the cosmic hierarchy because the temptation that is being offered is to be like God, to not submit to God, to not rule under God, but like God. That is the offense. This is a cosmic usurping of the throne. This is mutiny. Rising up and saying, we will rule ourselves. We will make our own way. We have our own plan. We know better than you what we should be doing. In the ancient audience, this is what is happening here. So, um, the, the general idea here is that Adam and Eve would, would ultimately succumb to what, uh, to the temptation to become usurpers of the throne, okay? Now, the Bible now starts off with a warning. It starts off with, here's the cosmic hierarchy. You were put here with a, for a reason, with a vocation, a job to do, and an office to sit in. God is over you. You serve God. You are over creation, Everything you need is there. And the warning from the very beginning with Adam and Eve is, do not tamper with the hierarchy. Don't 
do it. Um, when a warning is given in scriptures, it's never just one time. It is repeated over and over and over again. It's repeated through, um, through psalms and through poetry and song and parable and teaching and what's called um, historiography. It, it is repeated everywhere over and over and over. And this warning is all through the scriptures. Um, a lot of theologians would argue the reason the Bible is, is being written as it goes is to leave the message for the people who are following God, the next generation, don't make the same mistakes we did. There's a thing God wants, okay? Now, um, so let's look at some other instances of this story taking place. Genesis 11 is the same story as Genesis 3. Perhaps you've, you remember the story of the Tower of Babel, right? The people get together and they build a giant tower to the sky. And for some reason, this makes God really mad. And he's like, I'll have no towers here. You're done. Get out. And he changes their languages and, and sends them on their way. Um, and again, this, when I was a kid, didn't make a lot of sense to me. But in the Jewish mindset, this is the same story as Adam and Eve. Um, it starts off, um, think of it as an isolated story, okay? Think of it as just starting with the story. It starts off with sort of this commonality, sort of like Eden, like everyone is on mission, everyone is doing their work. Everyone's working together. There is peace among the people. It says in Genesis 11, 1, now the whole world has had one language and one common speech, okay? This is a way of saying there was equality, one language, people there working together. At some point, someone gets an idea in the story um, to do something different. Uh, it says this in Genesis eleven four: let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Now, in the ancient world, to, to know the name of your God was an honor. To proclaim the name of your God was an honor. To, um, to make the name of your God known was the goal of your tribe. And you would go to war because you wanted to prove that your God was greater than other tribes, right? But in this scenario, the people are not making a name for their God. They decided... We're going to make a name for ourselves. And they begin to build a tower. Now, how in the world does a tower make a name for yourselves? Well, in ancient cosmology, uh, they didn't believe the same things about the universe that we do. We now know because of modern science that, that there is no firmament on the sky, like a solid, at the beginning of Genesis, you see a giant sort of rock dome, right? Um, it's, think Truman Show. Have you seen that? Right, the boat hits the wall. It's like, oh, it's a dome. Okay. Now, um, that is actually how they viewed the ancient world. You can see sketches and, and they're in their, it's in their writings everywhere. Um, oh, here, let's just do this. Um, and so this is how they viewed the universe. We know there is no firmament that you can just shoot off into space and, 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 and drive your Tesla millions and millions and millions of miles. Um, so in the ancient world, though, this is what they believed, um, that it was sort of this closed system and the world was flat, and there was a firmament, ideas that are growing today on the internet. Um, it's neither here nor there. We're going to let that go for now. Um, and this is what they believed. And at the very top was the gates of heaven, and they believed God sat on the top of the dome on his throne. If you read the book of Psalms, the Lord has made the earth his footstool. That's actually a lot more literal in their mind than you would think. Uh, Literally, feet on top of the dome of the world. King dome, a lot of it comes from that as well. Some of you are like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. King dome, get it? Um, now, 
Uh, so we're building a tower. Why are we building a tower? Where are we going? We're going to the gates of heaven. And we're going to kick down the gates. And we're going to go sit on the throne and make a name for ourselves. Usurping the throne once again. This is the message in almost every single story in Genesis, it is there. The warning is over and over and over. The warning of the book of Genesis is, this is not your kingdom. Do not seek to make a name for yourselves. You are images of God, the crown of creation, maintaining the order of creation so that it may flourish and yourself along with it. If you want to flourish, know your place and hold your office with honor and integrity and passion. And do the work of God here. All of those under your status that you rule over, you supply for and you take care of and you guide forward into flourishing and you will find fulfillment. It is the reason when you sit around a campfire, you pull out a stick and a knife and begin to whittle something because you just, I, I just want to make something pretty. I just wanna, it is the reason you want to repaint that room and redecorate it again. It's the reason you want your spreadsheets to be perfect, whatever you do. Like it's, it's the reason you want it all to make sense and have order. That every, every picture on your, on your social media page has a look that looks the same. Like, you want to order something. It is built into all of us. Um, and this is the fulfill, This is all part of it. You ever finish mowing your lawn and you look back and you're like, this is one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done. <laughs> Laser edges. Like, look at this thing. The whole neighborhood will stop and praise me for my lawn. And this is, it's built into us. It, it provides something. Um, and when you're done, you know what day seven comes? You feel like when you're done, you can rest. If you sleep until 1030 and you get up in your pajamas and then you get in a hammock, it's not fulfilling, right? Like you have to mow the lawn first and then you can sit in the hammock and then you're good. Um, now, this is the whole deal right here. The book of Genesis is all about this and maintain this. And built into this story is also a message about what happens when you break the hierarchy, okay? Two things break when you break the hierarchy. Uh, first off, it affects your relationship with the world. We're going to talk about that first here. Then, it talk, then we're going to talk about your relationship with God, the king, how that changes as well. Um, so let's start right, um, right here. Um, the creation narrative, the creation story. Um, the creation of the world starts with, this is one of my favorite subjects to talk about. I talk about it all the time. So you've heard this, you're going to hear it again. Um, at the beginning of creation, there is the spirit of God. You find him hovering over what? Like darkness, a dark ball of water, right? Like that's all it is. The spirit of God hovering over the face of the darkness. And the Hebrew word there is tohu bohu. And it's a word that means chaos. That's, that's what is there. It's chaos. And in the chaos, God enters and spreads it out and brings some land upwards out of it and plants a seed there and puts stars and light and sun in the sky to light the seed and, and to grow it. And it begins to grow and it's created with dasha, forward movement. Um, and then animals are put there. There's birds and there is um, all kinds of stuff. And then crowned with, now that the whole thing is made, God needs a caretaker for the whole thing, sort of a, a manager of the whole deal. Human beings are put there, okay? This is the creation story. And as you move through it, it progresses. It starts off with day one with light, and then day two, sky and firmament. Day three, dry ground and plants. Day four, sun, moon, and stars. And day five, birds and sea animals. And day six, land animals and humans. And then there is the rest. Remember, we're creating the image of God. After the work, there is rest. Now, um, so things are moving 
forward as they should be. The chaos is subsiding and life is now growing. What happens when the managers quit? What happens when those who were put here to order this thing and guide it forward decide not to follow the king and to follow something else, to decide to usurp the throne, to do whatever they want, to follow other human beings, other kings, um, other ideas, other presidents, other whatever. Like what, what happens when we do this kind of stuff? What happens is the chaos begins to creep back in and things begin to go backwards again. Um, there is a passage in Deuteronomy. This is one of my favorite things in all of the Bible and I've never taught on it right now, okay? Um, There's a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 4 that we read a little earlier that fully describes what exactly happens when human beings follow other kings and other idols. Um, And it is to me one of the most profound things in all of scripture. Um, So remember, the first five books of the Bible are called the Book of Moses, the Books of Moses, for various reasons, the Books of Moses. Um, And again, it starts off with this ordering moving forward, Okay? When you get to the end of the Pentateuch, the first five books, the books of Moses, Moses stands up to give this speech in the, in the, in the book of Deuteronomy. And the speech is a huge two-chapter warning about following other kings. It's a warning about neglecting the hierarchy. It is a warning um, not to attempt to usurp the throne of God. And when he does this, he does something very, very profound. Let's read it. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 16. Do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman, like any animal or on earth or any bird that flies in the air, or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them. Now, if you were an ancient Israelite and you were hearing this story, you would have picked up on something. Remember the order of creation at the very beginning of the books of Moses. It moves like this, light, sky, ground, sun, moon, stars, bird, and then animals and humans. Moses stands up and he says, when you follow other idols, whether, and then he deconstructs creation. It moves from day seven to day one. It moves backwards. Um, It goes from humans and land animals and birds of the sea, sun, moon, stars, dry ground, plants, skies, firmaments, and light. He moves backwards all through the creation narrative. What he's basically saying is, when human beings forget the hierarchy and they step away from the way that they were created to live, the chaos can no longer be held back. There is no one to do God's work here. And it begins to move backwards. It begins to fall apart. When I was a kid, I never understood the references to like sin. Every, every problem in the world is caused by sin. This is where that comes from. This is the ancient Jewish way of saying, when you don't do your part, things begin to break down. Can we not see this today? When we don't live in the way that we are intended to live, don't things become more volatile, not just human relationships and nation relationships, the environment itself? Doesn't the whole thing begin to fall apart? And then, very quickly, we go from, from Adam and Eve usurping the throne, from the Tower of Babel usurping the throne, all of this. We move very quickly to Genesis chapter 6. And what happens in Genesis chapter 6? The waters begin to close in over it all. The chaos returns and floods the entire thing. And the entire story is completed. It's like, here's what happens 
when we don't live in the path of God, when we don't live directly under God in the way God intends, when we don't um, live out the vocation we were called to live out. Now, when you get to the end of the flood story, the flood narrative, the, the, the waters rise, covers the entire earth. It's all, it's all covered for 40 days, 40 nights. And then, and then this thing happens at the end of it where there's a reset. And what happens is if you pay attention, the creation story plays forward again. You have a bird coming back with some green plants. Green life is coming. Well, actually, it starts off with the sun coming out and begins to dry everything up and the water subsides and the earth now comes and the water is parted once again as the earth comes and the bird comes back with a, uh, a fig leaf um, in, his, in his mouth. And then we come to this passage where God tells them, they're in the ark and God tells them, it says, God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, the creatures that move along the ground so that they can multiply on the earth. This is the same progression that is in Genesis. It happens over and over. It's the same progression moving backwards that, that Moses proclaimed. It is moving forward once again, and it ends with the exact same command that was given to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply. It's as if God tells the story and then says, let's try this again. I'm going to give you another shot because God always gives another shot. Let's try this again. Now that you've experienced what it's like living in your way, what do you say we try it my way again? Okay? Are you with me? Okay, I guess they're like, mm, maybe. Um, now, okay. So, um, this is the relationship um, of human beings in creation and how it begins to fall apart. Um, there's another half to this relationship the relationship with us and God. What happens to that when we neglect the hierarchy, when we, decide to, when we decide to go in our own way? Now, let's talk about that. So there's really two main repercussions. There's more. I'm going to point out the two important ones that you'll see all through the Bible. Next week, we're going to open some of them up. Um, repercussions of the cosmic mutiny, as I'm calling it. Powerful. Cosmic mutiny, if you're looking for a band name. Um, so, just not a Christian, not a Christian band, please. Now, um, for multiple reasons, the name and the music. Uh, okay, so the first repercussion of cosmic mutiny is exile. You see this everywhere. Um, Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden, Genesis chapter 3, verse 23. The Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden. Um, and then you fast forward to Genesis 11 with the Tower of Babel, and you see this. The Lord scattered them over the whole face of the earth. Um, in between, there's all these little sort of pictures of that. You have Cain of Cain and Abel fame, right? He, uh, he rises up and, and kills his equal um, because God is unhappy with his sacrifice. He can't control God. He can't control people. And, and the Bible says um, in, the, in the Cain and Abel story in Genesis chapter 4, I believe, it says that he couldn't, um, he couldn't rule over the sin in him, right? The whole idea of, of ruling over. So he is banished as well, sent out to wander the earth. So exile is, um, is the first thing that you see. It's, it's sort of like if you've, ever, if you've ever worked somewhere for a while and, you know, you had a key card and a path, you could go in and out the building wherever you want to. You come late at night, you come in the morning and you're there. A lot of your life is there and you know the building, you know the people in the building. And then one day you stop working there, you work somewhere else. And then a couple of years later you come back and things feel different, right? Like 
it's weird because you used to have free range of the space and now you're like, am I, what am I allowed to do? What am I not allowed to do? There's sort of this awkwardness because you're no longer working there for the people who were, were employing you. You don't hold the office and so there's this awkwardness. That, there's sort of this idea built into the Garden of Eden because what happens is um, there is this sort of demotion that happens where Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, become just like everything else, just like the rest of creation. And there's a complete change in the relationship, and you can see it um, in the way that the relationship with God and them changes. The first thing that you begin to see is that God's communication shifts from conversational to sort of monologue and command. Whereas at the very beginning in Genesis 3, God is in the garden looking for them and walking with them. They're spending time. They know each other. They are partners in this thing. And now suddenly, they're not partners and they cannot speak to the boss the way that they did before. And so the conversation is gone. It's not, this is why when I talk about our relationship with God, I don't talk about necessarily separation from God. I talk about estrangement from God. Because God is always present, always there. Scriptures are clear about this. Um, But there's a relationship change where you don't recognize and know the authority of God anymore. Or even the love and the friendship of God. Uh, And there's this breakdown in this relationship. And so the first thing to go is the conversation. Now they're silent and they listen. And God speaks and they must obey. And it all changes. Um, And there's more. Um, Mankind moves from partners with God to subjects of God. No longer are they given the authority to do specific things. Now they are just simply told, here's how it's going to be. And the partnership is like gone. Um, So for the ancients, I want you to imagine this. Um, The ancient audience in exile sitting around a campfire telling these stories, trying to explain their existence. How did we get here? And someone says, well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there was a way that he created things to be. And when we neglected that, when we decided to go our own way, to follow our own idols, to live our own path, things began to move backwards and the punishment is exile. And here we are in literal exile. But here's the thing. When the story is told, there is always this like mercy that falls over the whole thing as well. Because in every, in every instance of the story, you see a mercy, not just, not just sort of a, a repercussion of the mutiny, but also some mercy with the repercussion. So Adam and Eve, though they are exiled, they are given clothes. They're clothed and covered. Their shame is covered. As well as they are still invited to take part in the work Adam, you can still work the ground and you can still get food from the ground. But now it's a little thorny, right? Like it's, it's going to be more difficult. This is incredible metaphor for life. Yeah, you can get food out of the ground, but there's always going to be thorns now. Um, yeah, be fruitful and multiply, but it's, it's going to hurt. It's going to be difficult. And they're taking the things that we know and saying, this is what it's like. Um, And as we move forward, there's always this invitation. Please take part in the work. But I want you to know, because of your failure, it is more difficult now. But it can still be done. You can still come with me. Cain is sent out into exile. And God says, but 
you're going to be safe. I'm going to put a mark on you, and people are going to see that, like, you can't be touched. Even though our relationship changes, I still care. Um, and the people of the Tower of Babel, are, they're scattered over the face of the earth, but God gives them a merciful gift. He, he shifts up the languages, and he mixes up their languages, as if to say, I'm, I'm going to make sure that they don't do this again. I'm going to make sure that they are able um, to not be distracted with this mutinous sort of desire that they have. And so he mixes up the languages. Um, this is how the story of God is told. Um, and, and, and imagine, again, those same people in exile being told the story of God. And suddenly they hear, but God has not abandoned you. There is still an invitation to you. Though you have failed God, the invitation stands for you to take part in what God is doing. And this gets very direct. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a prophet named Jeremiah. And the people of Israel are in exile. They have, they have followed other gods, idols, followed other kings. And the whole thing has played out and now they find themselves in exile. Exactly like Genesis said would happen. And they are in exile. And Jeremiah writes a letter to them and he says... Even though you're in exile, I want you to remember your vocation. And here's what he says. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your sons daughters in marriage um, so that they too may have sons and daughters and increase in number there. Do not decrease. Do you hear it? Be fruitful and multiply. Stay the course. Do your best to follow God with everything that you have. Don't give up on yourselves. God has not given up on you. Keep striving forward. God is with you and inviting you into it. And it doesn't end. Like, this is the same command, be fruitful and multiply, that, that God gave to Adam, to Noah, every time they were in exile. And, and, and now he gives it to them. Now, we move forward one verse, and he says this. Seek the peace and the prosperity of the city with, to which I have carried you into exile. Okay, huge concept. Yes, you are being oppressed Yes, you have been led into exile and you are experiencing the pain of what, um, of what you have sowed. While you are in exile, though, remember your vocation to lead and guide everything under heaven towards flourishing. Just because they have oppressed you and they, just because they are your enemies does not mean they are exempt from your vocation to them. And so we love our enemies. And so we forgive them. And so we guide them in whatever way we can towards wholeness and goodness. This is how the people of God are commanded to live. We are not called into this sort of tribal existence where it's like us versus them. And, and, and peace will come when we conquer them. Peace comes whether or not we are conquered. Because we are followers of God. Now. We go a little farther, we get down to verse 8, and it says, Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. This is in the Hebrew, it's written in a way that, that reminds the reader of the serpent in, in Genesis. It's the same message. Don't let them entice you and lead you into following their kings. Don't let them threaten you with, if you don't follow our king, this is going to happen, or this is going to happen. It won't. God is in control of the whole thing, and God needs you to take part um, in the work that he is doing. He's inviting you into it. Do not be tempted with idolatry. Do not give in to their threats. 
I know you are in exile, and they're telling you you were being oppressed, and they're telling you all you have to do is fall in line and, and worship our king, and you can be equals with us. Don't be led astray. You are not equals with them. You have a position, you have a vocation, you have an office in which you are to live. The people of God are called to a higher existence that is not affected by the temptations of this world. Remember the temptations of Jesus. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. He's like, no, that's not how this works. Now, this, in general, is the story of the Bible. From beginning to end, this is what you see. Um, It's not hard to imagine the deeper meaning behind these stories for the original audience. The threat of following other kings and rejecting their own office and vocation is so dire that according to the repeated warnings in the beginning of the Bible, it threatens to unravel the entirety of the created order and it threatens to estrange them from the king they were created to serve with. The whole thing is under threat. All that needs to be done is for you to realize who you are to follow Yahweh, to give yourself up and follow Yahweh and and live up to your vocation. You are being invited into the kingdom of God and out of the kingdoms of this world. Now, as Christians, as we move through the book of Matthew, we're gonna see exactly how Jesus became Lord. It's a heavy statement. But when that sign hangs on top of the cross of Jesus, the king of the Jews Um, By the time we get there, we'll have a better understanding of what exactly this is about, what this means. Um, In the meantime, I want you to understand, even the most guilty prisoner in prison, who is guilty maybe of murder, of the worst things that we can imagine, even that guilty prisoner, God has his hand extended out to them, and he is inviting them. And he's saying, no matter how far you have fallen, you were called to live a certain way, and you can still work for the flourishing of your cellmates and the guards around you. You can still do the work. No matter how low you think of yourself, you are being invited into the vocation of God's people. Um, No matter how far you fall, no matter how big your struggles are, you were created with a vocation that is now and forever upon you and still open to you. You are not cut off from God. His hands are open, inviting you in. You are being invited to follow Jesus, the crucified and risen king, and, and grace and mercy are fully on offer to you. So I'm going to end this right here. And we're going to ponder that while we take communion. Um, we're going to, uh, our communion servers, you guys can go and take the elements and spread around the room. Um, there are so many ways in which this um, has to do with our lives. What are we living for? What, um, so what I want to do is I want us to ponder a few things. Um, I want us to ponder what we are being called to repent of. Because the thing is, we all have these idols that we are chasing. I want you to ponder the things that you are taking part in that are contributing to the destruction of the world, of the environment, of the people whom you are in relationship with, of your relationship with God, of all things, your relationship with all things. What is it that is threatening this thing? And once you locate that, what is the idol that you are chasing that is causing these things to fall apart. Because when we chase, when our lives are centered around chasing after the idol of money, when that becomes our God, we neglect our role. We are not here to live this way. When we are called to chase fame and fortune and power to make our name great in some way, you have neglected the king 
whom you have been created to serve. And in some way, you will take part in the degradation of God's kingdom and God's world. And so what do we need to repent of? And so the communion table will be open to you. Everyone here is open to take communion with us. There's two things. There's bread, uh, symbolizes the body of Christ broken for you. There's wine that symbolizes the blood of Christ spilled for you. We take a piece of bread, we dip it in the wine, and we eat it. It's a way of, um, of saying this is what fills us. This is what we live off of. Um, this is how healing and salvation enters into the world. And then remember, Jesus is calling you um, not just to take part in communion, but to also follow him in allowing yourself to be poured out and broken for the world around you in the same way that Jesus was. So let's take some time and let's pray. And then we'll respond with one more song, shall we? Father, thank you for this place. Guide us, make us whole. Continue to lead us uh, towards your wholeness, towards your goodness. Restore our vocation, restore our office. Um, Thank you that Jesus has been glorified and is leading the way ahead of us. Help us to follow in his footsteps. Thank you, Father. In your name, amen. Take some time. Talk to Jesus.